Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of finding out your best friend is 40, 60 feet tall, but then wait a second, now he's only your height. What happened? What's up with that? Mimmei, where'd you get the where'd you get that dress? Mimmei, how old are you again? Why do your parents let you date? This week we are talking about Fringeworthy in Robotech. This is a special thing being done by Trav and Josie, and we look forward to seeing what they have to say because there are experts on that. Just to get off on the right foot, I made it no secret that I am a huge fan of Robotech, that we've talked about it previously here on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I've been wanting to do this one for a long time. Uh, Robotech by the way, is a property of Harmony Gold, and the Robotech role-playing game is a trademark of Palladium Books. So let's just get that out of the way now to avoid any any roughness from anything. That having been said, um, I've now started my second campaign combining Fringeworthy with Robotech. Josie has been a player in both of them. Sorry, Pixie. Sorry. Yeah. Pixie has... <laughs> <laughs> Pixie's been a player now in that campaign and has started up in this campaign. So we've been bouncing ideas off each other now for some time about this. And before we started taping, I talked with John and Bruce about certain other things that had to do with like the inner workings of the fringe system. So that having been said, Fringeworthy and Robotech can be mixed. And it, it, it's worked out quite well in my campaigns. Now, for those of you who don't know what Robotech is, it is an amalgamation and a reimagining of three separate anime. Macross, Southern Cross, and Genesis Climber Mospita. Okay, and, come on, Trav. Let, let's be honest. It's an unholy union, right? Okay, see, I said I didn't want to start the whole back, the Macross Robotech battle. <laughs> No, no, it's fine. Go on. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand why Harmony Gold did it because they need a minimum of sixty-five episodes to do a uh, 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 to franchise it onto American TV. Yeah, uh, Carl Masek in the early '80s, he was trying to get a Japanese series into syndication on American television, but it had to be a minimum of eighty-five episodes. So what he because he liked them all, but they weren't all long enough. So what he did was rewrote the script, renamed the characters, 
redubbed everything, new sound effects, new music. And so in 1985, Robotech premiered on American syndicated television. I remember watching it coming home from school. I was a sophomore in high school back then. So with Robotech, until then, we had what? Kimba and Astro Boy was the major Japanese. Speed Racer. Speed Racer, yeah. It was all the stuff from the 60s. With Robotech coming into the American consciousness, it brought Japanese animation into the American pop culture scene as a whole. And now we have Dragon Ball Z. We've got the Pokemon cartoons. We've got Saint Seiya or Knights of the Zodiac, as it's known in the rest of the world. We have Naruto. All of that would not be known if it weren't for Robotech paving the way. Yes, there are haters of Robotech. There are people that despise the very concept. They see it as a bastardization, or as Bruce said, an unholy union of three separate anime into this. Those of you a few years ago, if you remember my girlfriend Becky, who was on here for the Pets mini episode, that was our major bone of contention the time we were together. We'd have some pretty heated discussions about Macross versus Robotech. So, that having been said, the series known as Robotech, with its three parts, the Macross Saga, the Master Saga, and the New Generation, can be added, fringeworthy can be added in. Now, we're going to go into, as we always do, how a Unita exploration team in IDET would deal with interacting with this world. Now, a bit of backstory in the world. Normal Earth, 1995, a, a global civil war erupts over the use of the International Space Station, which they call the New Frontier. Well, when an alien starship crash lands on a South Pacific Island, 99, fighting stops. They're realizing, oh, that was not a comet. That was, and the governments start getting their acts together. And once they explore the ship, they realize they're not alone in the universe and a United Earth government forms by 2005 and they start reverse engineering all this alien tech. And in 2005, Earth goes through a technological renaissance. Yeah, we finally get the answer to that most important question, pretty much. Are we alone in the universe? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Very division. No. Well, because they... Um, the global civil war, they got together all these people from different nations to explore the ship, and they found out this ship was crewed by 40 to 60 foot tall beings, and they're going to want their ship back. Granted, they were so all they actually knew They actually knew the height of them at that time? Well, they could estimate it by, they well, there were skeletons on board the ship. Not oh, there only, were, okay. Not only due to the skeleton, the skeleton size, but you can estimate it based on the size of the ship yeah, itself. Yeah, there. I mean, there were some human-sized walkways, right. but the majority of the ship was made for forty to sixty-foot-tall humanoid beings. Yeah, it's just that I, I I watched the 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 first series, and at no point in it did they ever seem to be saying anything about the creatures that uh, that originally crewed the ship. That's why I was wondering. Okay, um, Robotech, the graphic novel by Kamiko. A comic company, and this came out in the 80s. It was like a prequel comic. 
Oh. Now, I'm not sure if it was relegated to secondary continuity, but it talks about Roy Falker, T.R. Edwards, Emil Lang, Henry Global. They all went together with a bunch of soldiers and other scientists, cracked open the hull of the ship and started going inside and finding out all this stuff. Then Dr. Lang, who in Robotech, Macross, ends up being the chief engineer aboard the SDF-1, he touched the computer that had Zor, the person who created Robotechnology, and he got like a brain boost from a shock, and his IQ jumped, and he was able to start deciphering how to reverse engineer Robotechnology into a more usable, human-friendly form. Let's say, so that's that's a that's a comic book that's like a prequel story. Whether it is considered secondary canon now, I'm not sure. Anyways, we're going to split up how IDET would be interacting based on the three stories because this timeline of Robotech covers almost 50 years from 1999 to 2045, and. The Earth, this Earth goes through a lot in the course of three alien invasions. Now, the first part, the Macross saga, I'm going to split that up between pre-reign of death and reconstruction. That the first part will be the world 1999 to 2011, and then reconstruction is 2011 to 2029. Because let, okay, I did, let's say they come in during the Macross saga. On that world, it is, oh, 2005. They're going to be coming into a world that's very much like their own. And, well, it would depend... Well, usually, Earth Prime is considered, and we'll use the D20 parlance, PL6. Technology has gone up due to exploration on the fringe paths. And they're going to be seeing things like, as is seen in the Macross saga, robots that are pop machines and they, they will follow you around and they'll come when you call them. Little camera robots that if you stick a credit in, it will take a picture of you while you're on a park. Because of robotechnology and how just incredibly advanced it was, Dr. Lang was able to reverse engineer stuff based on the basic principles. And as the saying goes, all ships rise at high tide. If you have one scientific discipline that gets a boost, others have to follow. There were quantum advances in robotics, metallurgy, computers, medicine, genetics, um, weapons design, um, energy systems. I mean, as I said, they invented cold fusion. They had liquid hydrogen-powered reactors. Um, and the whole thing about robotechnology, it's based on protoculture. There is a seed known as the infant flower of life. When that seed is about to germinate and it's put in a special electromagnetic matrix, it provides clean energy, no byproducts, no waste products. And if you hook it up to machines, it sort of gives it What's the term I'm looking for? A biomechanical fluidity, which helped in the process of their mecha, both Zentradi and Robotech Master Mecha and later Human Mecha, where these robots 
moved as, as quickly as a human could control it. Where it wasn't jerky and hesitant robotic movements. It was fluid. That was a side effect of the protoculture powering that mecha. So if you get there in the what I call the pre-reign of death era, 1999 to 2011, well, up to 2009, humanity is going through a technological renaissance. It would be very much akin to Earth Prime because of all these incredible advances that have now spread across the planet. Earth is united in a world government. The United Earth government ratifies January 05. I mean, you have a few anti-unification rebels here and there that they don't want to join up. Because remember, this Earth just came out of a global civil war from 95 to 99. There were still some, there were some old rivalries still there. There were just some people that are like, no, no, we, we were fighting to avoid this type of thing. We had our own agenda. We don't want to get on, you know, we don't want to drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. So you're going to have that. But, and it, I mean, we have that on Earth Prime with the, um, the UFNEC, the unaligned fringe net nations. So they're going to see incredible similarities between Earth Prime and a world with robotechnology during the Macross era. They're, they're going to just be like, this is like home, okay? We may not have robots running around wanting to take my picture, but we have fusion tech, there's advanced medicine, there's advanced metallurgy. Um, depending on where you are, they would see the robots and go, okay, they've got advanced robotics and um, energy methods. It's also the least problematic era for them to be in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. Thank you, Pixie. <laughs> very No, it is. It's a very euphemistic way of saying if you wanted to bring... If you want to bring... IDET into a... Yeah. Fairly new people into it. Took them in this particular era, yeah. You're throwing them in the shallow end, so to speak. Yeah, unlike you. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm afraid of what we're going to be running into. Okay? Because I'm, I'm currently running... You're currently running yeah, a, a for the Robotech campaign. Yes, in the early Macross saga. They are in 2005, so they are yeah. just now dealing with... And what the, you've been saying about that certain things well yeah but i mean scared right now well with how the earth is now you guys are just experiencing the robotechnology renaissance where all of a sudden yeah we were used to this technology and just boom all this new product is coming out all these new technologies the infrastructure has to change because of these new technologies so humanity is just it's a boom period it's like post-World War II, where we were building roads, we were building factories, we were building new uh, manufacturing infrastructure, and just humanity was just rocking and rolling, going to town, because the global civil war was that. I think there might have been even a limited nuclear exchange, I'm not sure. I'd have to really dig, but I... 
dig yeah, in. I'd have to look into, and it would probably be secondary canon by now. But if I was a team of folks from Earth Prime, yes, uh, and we show up in a world where Robotech is there, the first thing I would do is turn to the otaku in the team and says, "Okay, what's going to happen next?" <laughs> because technically, if what you're saying, it sounds like they're following the story. This would be what you call another story verse, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, they're following a story that we already know the ending to. Oh, not necessarily, John, any more than the, you know, we know the ending to any of the alternate Earths that we're on. Right, exactly. But we have a, we have a good idea. It's, 20, it's 2005, and about six years, we won't be someplace else. Well, that's what I meant by the reign of death. And we do not want to tell you why we won't be someplace else in six years, because, well, maybe we do want to tell you. You know, maybe you want to get that big guy over there online quicker. Here, here's the thing, and this is something that John and I discussed. When it gets to 2009, now, remember, 1999 is when the SDF-1 crashes on Macross Island, which is in the South Pacific. Over 10 years, and we're going to, again, I go by the progress levels in OGL, just works for me. We go from PL5, the information age, to PL7, the anti-gravity the age. We jumped two tech levels in a decade. Now, granted, obviously, the military is going to get the best technology, but even then, you have a base standard of living for civilized nations in the United Earth Government's member nations of PL6. They've got fusion reactors powering New York City. They've got advanced computers for the schools. They've got advanced transportation. You, the Mecca are run by... Uh, Liquid nitrogen or liquid hydrogen fueled reactors. Fusion power is a reality. Um, you have pretty near heuristic computers. For those of you who don't know what heuristic is, a computer that learns like a human brain would. There are some people I know that have not heard the term, so I'm defining it. They have all this technology, and I know things. I always say, okay, uh, this uh, w this uh, little girl here, her name's Lynn Minmay, teach her to sing really well, put up, put up satellites so you can broadcast in these frequencies, and when they, when they show up, have her sing. Yeah. And that pretty much short-circuits the entire war at that point. Having her sing will take out the Zentradi. See, there's a reason why they call... Why I call this the pre-Reign of Death era. Mm -hmm. See, the United Earth government, they know that the owners of the SDF-1 are going to come. They don't know when, they just know they're going to want this. This is a, a two-thirds of a mile long starship. You really don't want to misplace Somebody, something like that. You, you don't just misplace something like that. But the th here's the thing, is I'm fringe-worthy. I bring a copy of this Wikipedia, the Robotech Saga Wikipedia, with me. And now they have intel on the people who built the dang thing. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. I figured they would also figure that out, too. Well, no. They, Two thirds of a mile long? You don't just misplace Right. You, don't, you want something like that back. Yeah. And we tell them who lost it, because we know who lost it, too. In fact, we can give them all the back history to it as well. See, that is the thing with the story versus that if, you know, you have the otaku who put the, the Robotech wiki on his on his laptop, and once he gets it fire up and said, yeah, see, we know how this is going to happen. Bup, 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 bup. Well, this is, as I said, this is something John and I discussed 
sold into about 15 minutes after we should have started. Um, because of the nature of the fringe portals, John, can you really quick explain to the listeners what you told me the actual ring station is comprised of? Uh, everything Richard has told me, and I have to you know preface it with that. The ring stations, the platforms, everything are made of, for want of a better word, frozen space-time. They're not made of metal. They're made of the fabric of space, frozen in place. And that's why it's all shiny and reflective, and you can't hurt it with normal weapons. You can hurt it with big enough explosions. You put an H-bomb next to a portal, it will blow apart. Now, it will then, like the T-1000, reform and come back together again, but you can disrupt a portal with a, with a, with a nuclear bomb. Yeah, but the portal's not going to come and try to hunt you down like the T-1000. Yeah, I, I doubt that, John. <laughs> I doubt it, because unlike what you just uh, said the, the, uh, in, in your little sidebar here, the, a portal is made up of the energy of three black holes and a dwarf star. But Richard, but Richard has said people have blown a hole in the surface of a platform. Yeah, big deal. It's made of the same material. So what? It doesn't matter. It's got, it's programmed to behave in a certain fashion. Well, it, it won't make its day by detonating an H bomb next to it. It is reactive, John. You know, you know that if you travel over it fast enough, it changes its form to help you do stuff. So that's yeah. just it, basically going. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. So it kind of goes and does something. It cracks, but then it says. Oh, you didn't want me to do that after all. Okay, I go back. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying it wouldn't it wouldn't come back. It would come back. I mean, it might do. It doesn't even hurt it, John. It does. I mean, it's not like there's any shrapnel left over. It just takes a different form. Whatever you do to it, it's just it's always temporary. And when you looked into the crack, it's full of energy. So it's like. <laughs> they don't know what they're looking at when that happened. They just said, "Hey, let's you know take a stick and shove it in something and see if something happens." And something happened, and then they were really no more information than they had before. Well, they did know there's a threshold to crack the thing, so they can pretty much calculate that and said, "Okay, that's a lot more energy." There's a threshold before it reacts in that way, John. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not the same thing as hurting it. Well, actually, what Richard said was it actually blew a hole, not a crack. It blew a hole. They looked inside, and they actually saw the inside of the platform, which is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. It said it blew a hole in the surface. Yes. Not all the way through. I mean, like I said, it's just, you know, it, it there was no part of the portal left over no part of the the platform left over floating around anywhere no debris no nothing other than what the other uh, that was created by the explosion itself i'm sorry i'm not i i'm getting the impression that it that there's debris no i mean basically i i, I try to use the, fir, the phrase disrupted which is more correct than saying it was blown to pieces disrupted is more Again, that's Richard, okay? R you know, Richard doesn't actually think these things all the way through. So, you know, he just, that's the way he described it, okay? So that this is more like a, you know, him saying, this, the, the people at the scene, this is how they described what they saw, okay? Rather than it being some kind of scientific treatise on what actually happened. But considering the amount of energy you would take to free space-time, yeah, it's about right. 
I mean, you know, it's it's not metal. It's something else. It's and something else is well, the fabric of space frozen in place. So what does it matter? And for a for a culture that actually has ability to make to warp from full space that really has big implications since they can detect ships traveling to, traveling uh using their space full technology which is their ftl technology which is basically folding space you know making mini wormholes uh they a ring station would basically be a reflector to any sensors they have it would just reflect everything and they would see it even underground. They would see it with their FTL sensors. They go, "What's that? There's something underground. You know, it's reflecting everything." And that brings up a point, John. UEG gets an active space program by about 2004, 2005. There is a moon base started. There is a Mars base started. Heck, there's one on Io. Plus. There are a series of 10, for lack of a better term, they're aerospace aircraft carriers or the ARMD platforms. All of them would have the sensor because they, in the first episode, Booby Trap, it's 2009, the Zentradi are attacking. Captain Global, the captain of the SDF-1, former Russian sub-commander, a submarine commander, not a sub-commander. Um, he gets the message from one of his aides that outer space sensors have detected objects appearing in space, and they were detecting the gravity waves from the Zentradi fleet emerging from the wormhole. So that means if they can detect a space fold on the edge of the solar system, they should be able to detect, as soon as their sensors went online, they would sweep the system to do, and they would pick up. Now, depending if it's a prime or an alt, either one or eight. If it's a prime, they'll get they'll get sixteen. Eight on the prime and eight throughout the system. They sweep the system. Yes. Pick that up. So you would be picking up the eight on Earth and the eight placed throughout the solar system, which would be basically like. Usually, the defaults are like Venus, Mars, Moon, and a few of Jupiter's moons. Anyway. It, but maybe it makes this place sound, makes this version sound like it's actually an alternate version because, yeah, once they get that technology going and functional and, and you know, verifiable, yeah, the, you're play, if you're playing characters from this world and you don't, and you never heard, of fringe, or heard about the ring stations because it's an ultra dark secret because you're going, we don't even know what this stuff is. UEG would clamp down on those right away. And let's say there's a, a, a warp in the middle of a field in Kansas. All of a sudden, the UEG is swamping down on Kansas like they did on Macross Island 99. They'll lock that son of a gun down and nobody gets in around because it'll be like, why are they all of a sudden, you know, buying up Farmer Jones's field? I don't know, but they paid Farmer Jones a lot of money and he moved to the city because there's a warp station there and the UEG would lock that down. They would see the station. They wouldn't see the... I'm not sure if they would see the warp, however, but they would see the ring station. So the, wherever they built would be above, and you would dang sure they would start ex excavation to dig down to it. Well, yeah, because once they pick up that there's the, the reflection there, they'll sit there and scan everything. And remember, this is PL6 technology, so, like, ground sonar to pick up objects underground would be a lot more advanced, and they'd be like, okay, there's this 25-foot 
tall ring down there and they would excavate it and there it would be. So yeah, the UEG would already know about either one or 16 portals throughout the system. Now that one, if it's an alt that you put this Robotech Earth on, you know, you make it an alt Earth, yeah, they're going to lock that portal down and that'll be it. They'll just be like, okay, this is ours. Well, well, where I'm, look, where I'm looking at, if it's a prime, the first thing you're going to do is try to, to reconcile these strange, uh, strange portals, these strange constructions, which are all identical, yeah, with with what what crashed on the island, and they would realize that the technology is totally incongruous. Well, that's going to take a while, uh, because the, let's face it, the Termellern, okay, D twenty parlance, high PL seven four Zentradi Robotech Master technology. The Termellern are at PL ten, which is Biotech PL nine. They would the Termellern technology and go. Okay, this stuff is even beyond the stuff we found on the ship in Macross. So, and the only reason why they spot it because they're close enough in technology to at least have the stuff they can actually can do, you know, gravity wave scans and see that there's something on the planet that reflects perfectly those scans. Yeah. You know, I, though I can see initially it'd be like, there's something wrong with the sensors. Why? I'm getting a blip uh, 200 feet underneath, underneath Kansas. It's got to be an it's got to be an issue of some sort. It's got to be an error message. It's only when they can get finer resolution they got rolling. It's not a blip. It's something else. There's something down there, and that's when they would start digging. So it, it may take a couple of years before they realize that. You know, they probably still check and see what it is, and in time. Well, remember, it takes ten years for them to reverse engineer to get you know from ninety nine two thousand nine. As I said, by the time two thousand five hits and they are all out in the system. That's when they would scan and pick up these anomalies. So for the next four years, they would be, you know, while they're doing Project Valkyrie, which is perfecting the Baratech fighters, and Project Gladiator, where they're perfecting the Destroids, and training people at the RDF Academy on Macross Island, they would be checking out these anomalies. They, they would have to be, because they'd realize, okay, there's, if it's a prime, there's eight here, Oh my goodness! I just realized what name they would assign to it too, because when they find the first one, they go, "Oh, that's a Stargate." Oh. <laughs> they would. Yeah. They would not have any concept of altered dimensions. That, yeah. That that is the base concept of what would be known. Well, yeah, they don't come to the concept of fold space. I think the only person that would know of the concept of alternate dimensions and have any scientific basis on it would be the quote-unquote father of robotechnology, Dr. Emil Lang, yeah. the Belgian engineer who touched the supercomputer on the SDF-1 and got the brain boost. He basically had pure protoculture energy shooting through and it not like up about 50 points. But the thing is, I would imagine within the, within the Robotech setting, uh, with the, the higher level uh, aliens out there, they may actually be trying to build, you know, gates that you could actually go from one plant to another plant without bothering going into space. Well, the thing is, because, oh, okay, we're really going to get into some history here. When when, when the Robotech Masters, a.k.a. the Tyrolians, 
they had their starfaring empire, and it was all fusion tech ships and anti-grav units and all that. Fine. They found a planet, oh god, this is like a thousand light years away, and it was called Optera. And they found this rather simple race that subsisted on this flower that was all over the planet. And they, everything, seeds, leaves, stems, all of it. They were like how Native Americans treated the buffalo. They used every part of it. And it was a hive mentality. And one of the scientists of the Tyrolians, uh, by the way, Tyrol is the moon of the gas giant Phantoma in the Gamma Crux system, 88 light years away from Earth. Anyways, part of the Southern Cross constellation. Zor, this young scientist, he gained contact with the, well, effectively the mother of the infant race, the Regis. For lack of a better part, the Regis, for lack of a better word, the Regis became enamored with Zor. It's about as close as you could say that she fell in love with him. And he found out that the whole aspect, which would later be known as protoculture. When he took this finding back to his superiors, they said, get all the flowers that you can. I mean, take them all. Defoliate the planet. We want this flower for ourselves. Because they realized the capabilities of not only clean, limitless energy, but, like I said, all ships rise at high tide. Therefore, you're going to have all these advances in other sciences. And, of course, he had to lie to the readers, oh, yeah, I'll be back, and then the Zentradi came in and, or no, actually the Tyrolians did. They came in and just, you know, bombarded the planet, defoliated it, let the infant to die. The Regis felt, well, as any woman does when they are jilted by who they perceive as a lover, she transubstantiated her entire simple race into an intergalactic war machine. If you have protoculture, you die. End of story. This war caused, this, this, this whole little discrepancy caused a war that ravaged over, what, 1,500 light years for about 700 years. Until Zor, with his starship and the last remaining bit of protoculture left, because after 700 years, the Invert were winning against the Robotech Master's giant soldiers, the Zentradi. And they were miners. They were miners on Phantoma. Uh, monopole ore, I believe, is what they were mining. They needed an army. They rewrote their heads and said, okay, you're now soldiers. Go out and kill for us. If it looks like a purple crab, destroy it. So Zor took the SDF-1, the last of the protoculture matrix, and sent it on a hopscotch course across the spiral arm of this galaxy for about 400 years, I believe where it finally arrived on Earth. Zor died in the escape attempt. His corpse was found and retrieved by the Robotech Masters as he sent his ship off. So, yeah, it's a little backstory as how protoculture got to be and how the SDF-1 got to Earth. Anyways, IDET coming in, they would see all this technology, they would see all of this these advances... And everything is fine up to 2009 when the Zentradi arrived. The SDF-1 folds to try to escape. Well, first of all, the SDF-1 activates systems 
they don't reverse engineer the entire ship because a lot of the stuff that they, they just can't understand. So they leave it be. Well, with the Zentradi coming to the system and that space fold is picked up, the SDF's main guns kick in, blowing a hole in the top of the island and taking out two or three of their starships. So they try to take off. Yes, Joe. Um, personally, it's a very smart thing. They didn't mess with other things on the ship when they didn't understand what it was. Why would that? Because if you mess with, generally, if you mess with things you don't understand, it backfires. Well, yeah. Horribly. Well, even there were things even beyond Lang's comprehension. He was, at the time, the smartest man on the planet. Well, of course. He even... Even if he was the smartest man on the planet, a human brain can hold so much. Right, yeah, he got a brain As I said, I think he got like a 50 to 60 point boost to his IQ. He may have gotten that, but again, it can still only hold so much information. Right. It probably gave him there were just, as much as he could hold. Right, there were only certain things, certain principles of the robotechnology on board the SDF-1 that he couldn't unravel. So even, Doc, even Captain Global said, there are parts of the ship we never touch. Remember, Global was part of the original team with Lang and T.R. Edwards and uh, Roy Falker. So, yeah, as the ship fires, they realize, okay, we got to take off because we're sitting ducks. They try to lift off. The inherent anti-grab units punch through the top of the ship and the ship crashes back down on the landing. So they use regular thrusters. They get up high enough. And they decide, okay, we're going to space fold to the moon. They kind of go a little farther and then end up outside of Pluto and take the island itself with them, as well as part of the ocean. From 2009 to 2011, they have to travel back on what we would call impulse power, fighting the Zentradi the entire way. They get back to Earth, they have problems there. In 2011, the Zentradi's leader, Lord Dolza, decides... Okay, I've had enough of these people. These Micronians are getting on my nerves. We're done here. Almost 5 million warships decimate 70% of the Earth's surface. And, well, current canon says 70,000 humans are left. Humanity becomes an endangered species. Mm-hmm. If you go from 6 billion to 70,000, yeah. Yeah. So that would be the reign of death up to 2011. At that, from 2009-2011, the Earth is involved in a war against aliens who want that ship. Mm-hmm. Now, if IDET were to come in during that time, they would see, okay, this planet is in the middle of war. They're fighting 50-foot-tall 50 50 aliens with advanced technology, which means they have probably interstellar travel capabilities. But let's say they come in now post-reign of death. You're going to be coming into most likely a post-apocalyptic setting. Excuse me. As I said, Earth has been quite ravaged. A good portion of North America is gone. Half the Great Lakes region, both coasts, Good part of the North Pole's gone. Alaska's gone because uh, there was a Grand Cannon there. It got one shot off and took out a bunch of ships, and then the Zentradi just nuked it. Now, the Zentradi have capital weapons. 
what John mentioned earlier about how these portals are, the Zentradi would be able to pick up those portals based on the reflection that he mentioned. Those would be hit. Now, those... Not only, not only would they be hit because the Zentradi picked them up, but also because the UEG found out about them, they all, they all became military. They all would become military installations. Yep. And they're automatically targeted. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Why do you think both coasts and the Great Lakes are, are nuked? Heck, just here in the Detroit area alone, we have Selfridge Air Force Base up near Mount Clements. John's familiar with it. Yeah, we're gone. We've got Camp Grayling, like, up in the center center of the state, north of Lansing. Gone. Yeah, this, this whole state, gone. And, and, and with any military, you're going to take out the manufacturing base, the government base, both coasts, you're gone. You're going to take out the military installations. Yes. First. So... I mean, the core of the country is still fine. The Great Plains is, I mean, yeah, they got hit, but no, both coasts and the Great Lakes, they're gone. They're, it's right. radioactive wasteland for the most part. Whether it's one total or all eight on their time. The Zentradi will hit those areas, yes. Zentradi hit all of them. Now, due to Lynn Minmay, any true Robotech fan finds her annoying as all get out, but she is part of it. Because the Zentradi were straight warriors, genetically created, brain written to be nothing but a warrior. They had no culture. They were in segregated camps. And because they were all clones, they knew nothing of procreation. They knew nothing of interacting with the other gender. They got in contact with humans. I mean, Zentradi tried infiltrating the SDF-1, and they started realizing about human culture and after a while, there was a human Zentradi union of two of the top fighter pilots from the humans and the Zentradi, Max Sterling and Miria Perino. They ended up having, well, and after a while, two daughters, Dana and Maya. But the Zentradi basically rebelled. They joined with the humans and helped rebuild their society with some holdouts. Now, during Reconstruction, 2011 to 2029, Earth is rebuilding. Now, this is something I came up with. This is not canon, but this would make sense. If you have 70,000 people left, yeah, you have enough of a genetic base to rebuild a species, mm -hmm. but the Zentradi had cloning technology. They had Kreech technology. Britai, the commander of the Zentradi, and his best friend-slash-advisor, Exidor, helped the humans capture one of their traveling Robotech factories. This thing is a city in space. It holds Zentradi clones. It holds capabilities of building starships. It has a full-fledged medical and genetics facility. I would see them saying to what's left of the UEG, we will allow, if you donate genetic material, we will help rebuild your race. So you're going to have a whole generation of creche-born children 
to rebuild Earth's population. Now, in the meantime, if IDEC comes in during this period, you're dealing with a post-apocalyptic rebuilding society. Yeah, there are the vestiges of the PL-6 technology and the PL-7 military technology, but you've got 99.999% of Earth's population are gone. Most of the people on Earth now are micronized and trotty who are integrating into human culture, often with some comedic results. They have to understand the division of, of gender, male and female. They have to art, culture, learning to process emotion, because the Zentradi rank and file were given drugs, basically combat drugs. As they're getting weaned off those combat drugs, they're having withdrawal. They're no longer getting fed their daily combat drugs, and their emotion, you know, which locked down a lot of their emotions... They all of a sudden have to deal with this and then try to read it, and they're learning. They're getting overstimmed, to use an autistic term. And so you have a lot of malcontent uprisings from like 2014, 2015, well into the 2020s, where all over the world, rogues and trotty factions are hiding in the jungles, they're hiding in the mountains, hiding in the tundra, and they're trying to survive often amidst Zentradi wreckage. Because remember, the planet is littered with Zentradi starcraft. Some of them are five miles long. So IDET is going to have a lot of technology. If they have, like, salvage experts, if a fringeworthy team comes in through a portal and they see this green five-mile-long ship stuck halfway into the ground, that's going to be a possibility of some fantastic salvage. They will see that, okay, there was an alien war here. Off in the distance, they might see the remnants of a human city, and they'll deduce, okay, if this is their first time coming through the portal, they'll be like, okay, this was some alien war happened here, which, you know, attacked humanity. If they travel far enough, they would see, okay, there are human settlements nearby. There might be a few large cities and they would be dealing with humanity literally rebuilding from the brink of extinction. Yeah. Uh, Trav, I got a question. Because I remember cause I remember when they were entering the, the rebuilding phase uh, of the series, not all the Zentradi got micronized. Yeah, they integrated into human society, but they didn't want to get the micronization. One, micronization in and of itself, you go into a cloning chamber and... The Zentradi have, a, I mean, they are, the, the humans, the Zentradi, and the Tyrolians are all very genetically similar. It's just when the Tyrolians made the Zentradi originally, remember, they were miners, but they were able to be micronized. So they gave them, what's the term, a malleable genetic structure, enabling them to be shrunk or grown. And I mean, you can only do it so often. They're just, and even then, micronizing or restoring their height that's still going to be a massive strain on their system. There's going to be some recuperation. Yeah, you've been micronized. Yeah, you're going to be very woozy, very sick. It's going to take you maybe a day or two of bed rest, and then you're fine. The same with restoring you to your height. The reason why they were made to be 50 feet tall because they were mining a gas planet. 
their big size helped them with matters of gravity and whatnot so they could survive in that hot, on that high-gravity gas giant uh, planet of uh, Phantoma in the Gamma Crux. So we called it Gamma Crux. They called it the Balabar system. So, yeah, the Zentradi, there were some giant-sized Zentradi who were integrating into human culture. They didn't want to go through micronization, but they were also realizing, yeah, feed them. Okay, fine. Give them a whole cow. Oh, good. That's breakfast. Needless to say, a lot of them chose micronization. One, they wanted to fit in, and two, it was just easier to feed them. <laughs> Feeding a 50-foot-tall band, that, that's, that, that's a lot of cooking. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm reading up this stuff, so I'm starting to wonder if the Tyrolians, who sound like they're the, they're the basis for the Zentradi's uh, body planner thing, basically were cloning themselves and just, you know, making some alterations. Yeah, they, they did. They basically used their own genetic material and tweaked it to make them... Because they can have... Because Zentradi, and I would imagine Tyrolians, and humans can get funky and make kids. They're all, inter they're all interfertile, yes. Which, there's been speculation on a common ancestor. It comes to mind the, um, the Sebations from Farscape, who actually were humans. Spoiler! In Tyrons, yeah. Yeah, so I'm wondering if the Tyrolians are actually... Is there, was there any hint of a higher-level race? Later on, as we go through the timeline, I will bring that up. But, so I imagine if when the when the Unita comes through and they send a team through and they see that they're going through a war, they step back and say, hand me the key, lock, we'll come back in 10 years and see if they're still doing it. Let's say 2012, they're reconstructing. Okay, fine. They come back in 2022. By time, in 2015, Earth makes, the United Earth government makes the United Earth Expeditionary Force. With help from Breach High and Exodor, they capture the Robotech factory. They start crafting a third SDF. Because the second SDF was made during the war, and SDF 1 and 2 were destroyed. That ended the first Robotech war in 2014. 2015, Rick Hunter, Lisa Hayes, and the remnants of the heroes of the First Robotech War, they say, okay, we need to get, we need to broker peace. Oh, the Zentradi? Oh, you know who did this? You, who your, your creators are? And Exodor would tell them of the Tyrolians, the Robotech Masters. They live on the, the moon of Phantoma known as Tyrol, and they deduce that it's 88 light years away in the Gamma Crux system. So from 2015 to 2022, the United Earth government is rebuilding their population, probably with Zentradi Kreeshel. And they build the SDF-3 and a whole new generation of Mecha. And of course, in you know 10 years, you're going to learn to micronize stuff. By this time, Dr. Lang is like indispensable. He is now the head of the diplomatic mission to Tyrol. Meanwhile, Rick Hunter and Lisa Hayes Hunter are captain of the SDF-3 and admiral of the REF, respectively. Basically, Lisa is Rick's boss. And they get married on the eve of them taking off to Tyrol to try to broker peace with the Robotech Masters. Problem is, the Robotech Masters pass them in hyperspace and arrive in 2029. During 
2022 to 2029, we're having the malcontent uprisings. These rogues and trotty are all over Earth, causing trouble, fomenting and agitating, as the term would be. And in that time, because the majority of the Robotech Expeditionary Force took all the REF Mecca, there was a colonel down in South America, Anatole Leonard. He decides, okay, we need to fight our way back into North America because they need our help. He's down in South America at a base. He's fighting Zentradi all the way up through South America, Central America, and he's grabbing every former RDF soldier, freedom fighter, guerrilla warfare artist, and forging them into an army and just cutting a swath up through the Americas. He gets back to North America, and they're like, you're good. Anatole Leonard is left in command of Earth's military after the Hunters leave. Problem is, he has a beef with the Hunters because you took all the best engineers, pilots, and and Mecca. You left me with this 20, you know, this 15-year-old RDF crap. So Supreme Commander Leonard, because he's pretty much Earth falls into feudalism in the late 2020s. Where, yeah, you become a full citizen if you serve time in the armies of the Southern Cross. Which they named it that because that's where Tyrol was. And yeah. Anatole Leonard is an extreme xenophobe. No Zentradi in at all. So if you're getting into the late 2020s and you come through as a United team, yeah, Earth has rebuilt nicely over the past 10 years. They've managed to reclaim some territory. Monument City is up near Calgary. And it's near the SDF-1 burial. And they just covered it all in the mound. They just said, okay, hence Monument City. It was a monument to the fallen ship. Pretty much Earth is now run from that city. And Anatole Leonard pretty much, because the military commands the people, Leonard pretty much ends up being given command of the planet. So let's say the UEG covered those sites and an IDET team comes through. The UEG still runs the planet. It's just now the armies of the Southern Cross that are monitoring Earth's military. There's a small contingent of RDF people left. Very small. They may, I think they're at the RDF Albuquerque base. There's one in Australia and I think one in Africa. That's it. Everything else is ASC run. These UEG sites that have these portals and are locked down, they're still going to be under guard. And you, and as soon as you come through, you're going to be taken in and you're going to be sent to the nearest ASC base. For It's like, okay, what are you doing on this property? What are you doing here? It's going to be a very different Earth than it was 15 years before. As I said, Earth has fallen into sharp feudalism. The ASC runs... Leonard runs a tight ship. And if you were Zentradi, he really don't want anything to do with you. Now, there's secondary canon there. I've read that Anatole... And this is on the Robotech wiki. Anatole Leonard actually had his Zentradi 
lover, a female Zentradi pilot. They had a son. Now, he was already PO'd at the Hunters because, hey, you took all our best guys and left me with crap to defend the planet, and I know another invasion is coming. Yeah, these Robotech Masters, they're on their way. Oh, no, we're going to broker peace with them. Well, Anatole Leonard has his Zentradi mate, and they have a kid. Well, the Zentradi fighter pilot and the kid fall in with the malcontents and before the SDF-3 leaves, so this is early 2020s, Maria Perino-Sterling, the first Zentradi to marry a human male, kills in battle Leonard's wife and son. So he really hates the Zentradi now, but it's because a Zentradi killed a Zentradi, and it's sort of hush-hush. No one really knew this. So Anatole Leonard is just this raging xenophobe. So anything coming through those portals. He's not going to like it. No, he's not. And it will be brought to his attention because pretty much he's got the thumb on the pulse of the planet now. Yeah, that makes me makes makes me wonder if 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 your team does the proper you know proper thing, which is send a wind up through first. Yeah, you you you're just giving them. Oh, okay. Make sure he's not in line of sight and let him come out, and then we'll get him. Trouble is, you're you're you're. This is the point where they've dug down to the ring station. You're not coming out of warp anymore. You're coming out of a ring station at that point. And it's gonna be a ring station with with you know I'm not even sure what they would use to just protect it. I mean, would it be it probably be a room just big enough to hold the ring station? And I don't know, would they would they have weapons aimed at it? Because it looks like a portal. I mean, that's what it is. Oh yeah, yeah, they would have it. Yeah, they would because this is this is after their death. They've already had things coming from elsewhere in this dimension. We don't want anything else worse coming from other ones. No, portals anywhere. Would it be a shoot first, ask questions later thing, or would they give them a chance to hang themselves first? Damn, that would be a flip of a coin type thing, it, truth it, to it tell. It would depend on the temperament of the people monitoring that particular location. You have people coming through a device that is so far above their tech that even the Zentradi don't understand what it is. You are not going to... You know, you're going to... Okay. You may capture them. You may hold them. You're not going to kill them. As only as a, a last possible and probably a mistake would this happen. Because they would it be considered was. they they would be like, "Oh, you came through that portal? Oh, we do have a science, you know, we have labs. Okay. You look human." Yeah. And remember, we do have the benefit, you know, the ASC does have the benefit of all that Zentradi medical and cloning knowledge, which means you're going to be having a doctor looking, going, okay, well, genetically they're human. Jeff, Jeff, it's worse than that. This is if it's, if it's 10 years in the future and you have your uh, and you have players who are going, oh, this looks interesting. I'm going to play it to Zeal. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, see. Well, because there's the different races and whatnot. And then imagine a Demixie coming through that thing. I guess it would also depend on what comes through. Yeah. 
because you're looking and what looks like a bunch of humans walk through. Okay, that's fine. fine. That's fine. They look human. We'll catch them and, and see. If they look distinctly not human, they already had enough problems with alien races. Yeah, I it's think... It's probably going to be a shoot first ask questions if they're still, if they're still alive. And I'm reminded of the line from Wild Wild West. Shoot first, shoot again, shoot some more. If anyone's trying to alive, try to get some questions answered. And, and would they have have experience with the uh, telepathic races by this time, or would they that's still to come? Okay. Um, the Zentradi would have told the UEG that, yes, our creators, the Tyrolean Robotech Masters, are telepathic. I want to spit this out, even though we're doing IDET meeting. IDET going into a Robotech world. You are not going to have fringe-worthy Zentradi. You are not going to have fringe-worthy Tyrolean. You are not going to have fringe-worthy Invid. Just let's get that out of the way right now. I just wanted to spit that out and just put that out there. Even though at least two of those races can get funky and make kids with humans. The, The Zentradi are all clones they are genetically and basically they're biological androids now the tyrolians they are human but they've been cloned in threes their 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 whole race now is you have two other clones that are exactly like you and you came from a progenitor they the the robotech masters have this whole thing of the triumvirate so now cloning would it be fringe-worthy? I think we, we've actually, actually asked this question before, and the answer comes back is, uh, it comes right down to, if you have a pair of twins, one can be fringe-worthy, one could not, would not be. And that's basically cloning right there. Twins are the most basic way of cloning somebody. Uh, and the, the resolution was, twins don't necessarily are both fringe-worthy. One of them may be fringe-worthy, the other one may not. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, after Mary and Max get married, and it's a public event, it's, you know, the first time a human gets married to a a non-human, it made world news. Max and Maria had two children, Dana Sterling, and then later on out in space, they had their daughter, Maya, originally named Aurora. They retconned it, and her name's Maya. Anyways, humans and Trotty children, you have the, the biological union of a human and basically a biological android. Mm. Who's basically human, because otherwise you wouldn't have kids. Right. So humans and Trotty hybrids, by by the time the armies of the Southern Cross get going and you are there in ASE custody, a humans and Trotty hybrid could be fringe-worthy. So, Yeah. I would say even a Tyrolean, if you give him a crystal key and he handles it long enough, could be induced by the key. Oh, yeah, they could be attuned. Yeah, so could a Zentradi. They're just not not naturally going that way. Right, like humans, one in 100,000. Oh, that would mean, yeah, that'd be a hard way for... (laughs) That reign of death would wipe out most of the Fringeworthy, because if you have 70,000, you might have one Fringeworthy. Maybe, on average. Yeah. If it's just random, yeah. they, if they didn't like form a team of the random people they found, yeah. then yeah, they might have one and get random assortment of 70,000. Yeah. 
So anyways, in the Southern Cross era, an IDEC comes through, through most likely one of the protected lands that the UEG set aside to keep that portal at bay, which now is exposed because it got blown away and then it reformed. Most likely that IDEC team, even if they're straight human, and we're talking Erder, Pax Romana, Norlander. Yeah. Whoever we find afterwards, too. You know, this is 10 years in the future. There's a lot more out there. They're going to get carted away because it's like, first of all, they're trespassing on government property. Second of all, there's a, there, there, if, if these lands are like watched, like cameras and stuff, okay, you guys just walked out of the middle of nowhere and appeared. And here you are. How did you get there? Well, you see, we walked through a portal. All right, get in the paddy wagon. So they're going to be taken into the nearest ASC base. Well, yeah, I mean, if they're, if they're watching, they're watching both sides of the portal. And, and you know, and if someone walks out and they didn't walk in, they're going to go, oh, you know, send the guys, send the, you know. I'm not sure. Trouble is, if you, got, if you have a mixed race team, you know, even if you had a team of, 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 of Blizzniz, I doubt they could even keep these guys pacified. They'd be so freaked out. You gotta remember, yeah, that a lot of these people are just normal soldiers. It's told Leonard that's the raging xenophobic a-hole. Well, I'm, I'm just wondering, though, if, you know, if, they, if they know about tele- telepaths, whether any of the weapons they may have there as defensive are being controlled by someone present. They may be controlled by somebody far enough away that they cross their fingers and hope they can't be controlled. Well, the thing is, it's not like telepathy was really told to the public. It was still sort of a government thing. So most of the Earth's population that has been rebuilt during Reconstruction, because you needed to be able to rebuild in a decade's time enough people to man, let's see, the SDF-3 was, I think, like, two miles long. That's a couple thousand people right there, and you're going to put them all on a starship and spend them in this fate. They needed to rebuild humanity big time. So there's a lot of people, but even then, you're not going to tell them the, the fact that there are telepathic races out there. Yeah, that's really not going to be public. So science is still going to be complicated to myth. No, what I'm just going to say is that since the high command would know that there actually are telepaths, and the Zentradi, they're not going to keep their mouth shut. In 2022, most of the micronized Zentradi joined the REF. That's what bolstered the forces of the STF-3. There are very few micronized Zentradi that stayed on Earth, and if they did, they stayed at the RDF bases because Leonard didn't want anything to do with them. The only reason why Dana Sterling became an ASC officer because she was half Zentradi is because she was left, her and Bowie Grant, Vince and Claudia Grant's son, they went on the SDF-3. Bowie and Dana were adopted by General Rolf Emerson, a close friend of the Hunters. Dana being half Zentradi, the only reason why she got into the ASC Academy is because Emerson put them in. Probably much to Leonard's dismay. Because of his xenophobia. It's like, 
yeah, you're a war, you're the children of war heroes. That's the only reason why you're in this academy. If you were micronized and trotty, you didn't get the ASC. You would have stayed at the RDF bases because of the fact you know the RDF. They are controlled by a separate commander. Anatole Leonard pretty much ignored them. And probably the RDF would have gotten the crap detail of, okay, yeah, you know what? We're controlling the base. We're going to give you this little out-of-the-way area here to guard. So most likely, you'd be getting old RDF soldiers and maybe some micronized and trotty would be the ones that would be catching you through the portal. And you'd be taken back to the nearest RDF base. So it makes me wonder if if you did have a team of, or at least Blizzniz, they might be able to keep things calm then. Yeah, yeah, because of that natural field. And from what I understand of the Blizzniz, that field does not shut off. It's always on. Yeah, but I'm also thinking of the fact that, you know, uh, Leonard is so paranoid. He they, he may not have told people why they're remote-controlled weapons, but he may also have remote-controlled weapons present as well. I mean, just a couple of machine, a couple of machine gun or laser turrets is sitting there, controlled by some guy 20 miles away. He doesn't tell him why. He just simply says, yeah, we're just going to have these things controlled from off-site just in case something happens that dis- discombobulates people in the, in, the, in the area. Perfectly legitimate. Yeah. Well, because he's, by de facto, because it's pretty much the UEG by now is a military-run body. Yeah, you have Prime Minister Moran, fine. No. Anatole Leonard is pretty much running Earth. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tohoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.